Let us turn our attention to Jonah. In the Old Testament, we have Amos, then Obadiah, one chapter, small book, and then we have Jonah. And we're going to read one or two verses that will form our text for this morning. Jonah, then chapter 1, we shall read from verses 1 to 5. Jonah chapter 1 at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down, into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep, and so on. Amen, and may the Lord be pleased to bless unto us the public reading of his word. We want to look particularly today at verses 4 and 5, and these verses will form our text for this evening, for this morning, Jonah chapter 1, Verses 4 and 5, therefore, will be our text. We looked at the previous verses last week, and we looked under the title of a disobedient servant. That was our title for the sermon last week, a disobedient servant, because Jonah had received a very clear, simple call, and he chose to disobey it. Well, this morning we want to continue looking at Jonah, and we would notice, friends, that a disobedient servant is a dangerous servant. And that's the title I want to give to our meditation this morning. A disobedient servant, as we noticed last week, he now becomes a dangerous servant. A disobedient servant of the Lord is a dangerous servant to have around. He is dangerous to himself and others because the Lord will correct him in due season. And this is what we find in these verses. Well, under the heading, therefore, a dangerous servant, we want to look at these verses and we seek the Lord's blessing as we do so. You will no doubt be very familiar with the story of Jonah, but I want to highlight one or two things from these uh, two verses for our edification this morning. First of all, let us notice here, no escape. What do I mean? Well, there is no escape from the presence of God. Jonah foolishly thought that God confined himself to Israel. That was the 
common view of all the nations round about. They would have their god or their gods, and they believed that their god or their gods would confine themselves to certain localities. And this seemed to have affected Jonah as well. And that's why he ran away from the presence of the Lord. But he soon found out that he couldn't. But before he found this out, he found that providence was favorable towards him. We did not really dwell upon this last week, but we know that he went down to Joppa, he found a ship going down to Tarsus, and he paid the fare thereof. Everything was hunky-dory. All the doors seemed to open for him. He was a rebellious servant, and the Lord chose not to close any of these doors. The Lord could have done that, of course, but he chose not to, because this man was going to be taught a lesson. And therefore, God did not intervene. And as, as Jonah went down to Joppa, everything fell into place for him. He didn't have to negotiate. He didn't have to uh, strive to get a boat or to get a passage. Everything fell into place. And he might well think to himself, well, surely the Lord is with me. But of course, this was not the case at all. And therefore, friends, we have a lesson here right at the very beginning for us. We are to order our lives not by providence. As someone much better than myself has said, providence is a book that you can only read backwards. We are to order and direct our lives according to the revealed will of God. This is what God has given to us for our direction. And if we are at any time doing something that is contrary to what God has revealed to us in his word, no matter how kind and how, no matter how pleasant providence might seem to be, we are disobedient. And if we are a child of God, we will be taken to account because of it. And therefore, it's vitally important, yes, we study providence, we see the hand of God moving in providence, but our rule is always the Word of God. This must be what we look to and how we direct our lives. Well, as I said, no escape. And we notice then Jonah off on his flight, put everything behind him, and the Lord seemed to let everything go. Here's another lesson for us. The Lord is in no hurry. We're always in a hurry. Why? Well, because we know we have a limited amount of time. We might not like to think about it, but yet we know this in the back of our minds. We know one day we'll not be here. Therefore, we seek to do things in a hurry. And everything we do is with this limitation because we know that one day we'll not be here. Well, God does not fall into that category. 
God is from everlasting to everlasting. God works in time, but he's outside of time. A thousand years is but a day to him, and a day is but a thousand years. That's the great God of the Bible. That's the God who is eternal, who has no beginning and no end. And therefore, he can be patient. And he has all, if we can use this reverently, he has all the time in the world to exercise his plans and purposes. You'll never hurry God up. Never. Because he is eternal. And the Lord is in no hurry. But, and here's a very great but, friends, for us to take home with us when we go to our lunch. But he will deal with the disobedient and sinner. He is patient. He was patient with Jonah here. He has been patient with many. He's been patient with all of us, in fact. And whether we be a Christian or a non-Christian, God is patient, but he will deal. And he will deal with his people, believers. He will deal with them when they're erring in this life. But for the unbeliever, he might not deal with him or her in this life, he might wait for the life that is to come. God is sovereign. He can do as he pleases. But he will act. There's a very appropriate text to draw to your attention regarding this. We saw it when we looked through the book of Numbers. Numbers 32 and 23. Here Moses says, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now that was said to the tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was said to them because they chose to have their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. And they said if they would get their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan, when the time came when the other tribes passed over the Jordan, that they would come and fight for them. They would leave their, their territories, they would leave their young folk and their flocks, and they would go and fight for the other nine and a half tribes that they might have their territory. And Moses agreed to the request. But basically he was saying to them, if you don't come and fight like you promised, when the time comes, be sure your sin will find you out. And they did. When the time came, they did come and fight for the other nine and a half tribes. But the lesson is clear, friends. Our sins will find us out. Jonah's sin found him out. And the believer's sin, the disobedient servant, his or her sin will find him out. God will not leave them to continue. And therefore, the lesson surely is we can't run from God. And how many people today are running from God? Why is it our churches are half empty or even less than half empty? Why is it our football fields and stadiums are full and our shopping malls are full and our discotheques and our pubs and our bars are full of people? What are they doing? They're running away from the presence of God. Oh, how foolish it is. Is it not? 
because one day, friends, it will come that we will have an audience with God. We will be called forth, most likely from our graves. We will be come forth from the graves. We'll hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out. The day is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. We'll hear that voice and we'll come out of our graves and we'll stand before him. And therefore it is absolutely foolish to run away from God and run away from his presence. And maybe you are a bit fearful this morning because maybe you're one who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you are in a sense running away from him. What must you do? It's clear. You are to stop running away from him. Instead, you are to run unto him. That's how we find salvation. That's how we're reconciled to God. We are to run to him. And we're not to adopt the, the lifestyle of the world. We are to run to him because there's no hiding. And you know, when there's no escape, the Lord is a, a mighty warrior. And he's like a, a marksman with a bow and arrow, if you like. He's got many arrows in his quiver. And he's got many weapons. And he can use the whole of nature. That's why we sang Psalm 148. It talks about God as the one who is in control of every element in nature. The sun, the moon, the stars, the weather. All of these things, the wind and the waves, are under his dominion, and he's able to use them as he did on this occasion and as he's done on other occasions. Therefore, it's absolutely foolish to run away from God. Oh, is it not foolish that we see the rebellion that we noticed in our own selves before we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What foolishness! A weak person, a skin full of sin, running away from Almighty God who is omniscient, who is omnipresent, who is omnipotent. What foolishness! And even we find this foolishness in a prophet. He was not a private Christian or a private believer. He was, a, what we would say today, an office bearer or a preacher, and he thought that he could run and escape from God. Therefore, let us humble ourselves. God sees all things. God saw what you did last night. I have no idea what you did last night in the privacy of your bedroom. What did you do? In the privacy of your home, what did you do? When you were out last night, what did you do? What did you say? What did you think? I have no idea, but God knows. God knows. What did you do earlier today? What will you do later on? I don't know, but God does. That's the one with whom we have to do. Should this therefore not cause us to fear and tremble before this God, 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, says the psalmist. And so it should be for us. And we notice, friends, when there was no escape that God used the elements to speak and to Jonah. He lost something during this time. What did he lose? He lost the word of God. Did not speak to him by visions. God did not draw near unto him and speak unto him as he did in times past. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Here Jonah was walking with the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. But now the passage or the verses we're looking at, Jonah was estranged from God in some sense, and God did not come to him by the word of God instead of by the works of God. And maybe this describes some individual here. You know your disobedience. You know it. I don't know it. God knows it, and you know it. And what do you know? Well, you know that you don't have freshness or vitality in the Word of God that you once knew. Your soul is not fed by the Word of God as it once was. You used to relish when you come to the house of God, and the preacher would open up the Word of God to you, and you delighted in it. And when you went home, why, God spoke to you in His Word. You were warmed by reading the Word of God. God was speaking to you, but suddenly, because of your disobedience, God is not speaking to you like He did in the Word of God. Friend, you need to turn away from your disobedience. There's no escape. God is after you, and God will have his way with you. And God is patient, as Jonah found out. No escape. Secondly, let us notice here, your actions, and I'm particularly talking here about the disobedient believer, but it also applies to the, the unbeliever, but particularly because Jonah was a believer. And let us notice therefore, secondly, your actions affect others. Your actions, your personal actions as a believer will affect others, either positively or negatively. Just think overall. Look at the picture here overall. Jonah, he goes in a boat. He puts in danger the life of seamen. These men were seasoned sailors. They were used to choppy weather. They were used to sailing. And they were fearful. They were frightened. Their lives were in danger. And their lives were in danger because of a disobedient servant. That's why we read from Acts chapter 27. What a contrast! Here was the Apostle Paul in chains on his way to 
faced trial in Rome, but he was doing the will of God. And when he went there, a storm came. A great storm. Their lives were in danger. Now, I'm not going to dwell upon Acts chapter 27 because we will come to it as we go through Acts. But you can see the great contrast. Here was an obedient servant, the Apostle Paul, and during this time of when the storm came and when their lives were threatened, what do we find? We find him there being a leader. And because he was the Lord's, he was going to be saved, and all of them would be saved if they would be obedient to the Apostle Paul. What a contrast! Jonah, the disobedient servant, was going to bring peril, danger, death, drowning upon those whom he traveled with. In verse 4, there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. There's not, not a controversy, but there are different interpretations of this. Some say that there would have been other ships sailing, and that's more than likely that would be the case. And therefore, the other ships were also in danger, not just the ship that Jonah was on, but other ships. That could well be the case. And therefore, Jonah put the lives of his fellow passengers and the lives of many other people in danger because of his behavior. That's a very solemn thought. Others, however, take a slightly different view. When it says, so that the ship was like to be broken, they believe it was only that ship. And there may well be some merit in their interpretation. Because these men, these sailors, were seasoned sailors, and they were petrified. And they recognized this was something unique. This was no ordinary storm. And it may well be that they might have seen other ships, and the other ships were not affected. But the ship that Jonah was on was affected. And that ship, and that ship alone, was in danger with the loss of life. Whatever interpretation you accept, the lesson is clear. Christian, if you are living a disobedient life, others are affected by it. It's a time for self-examination. It's a time for the minister to look into his own heart. It's time for the office bearer. It's time for the professing Christian into our own hearts. Are we stumbling blocks? Our children, where are they? Many of our children are in the world. 
Is that because of parents, professing Christians who have not lived consistent Christian lives? We preach the gospel. We seek to preach the gospel here and in other places. Why is it we don't see conversions? Is there a problem? You remember the Old Testament story about Achan? God made an example of Achan. They had just gone into the promised land under Joshua. They had been successful. They were told not to steal or not to take the booty. Achan took some and hid it. The next time the, the people went to fight, they were rooted. Many lost their lives. Why? Because Achan had sinned. And God was going to make an example of him. Is there an Achan here? Is there an Achan in your house? If you are a disobedient believer, you could well be the stumbling block. And you could affect others. It's a very, very serious matter. And you might say, well, surely it was not fear of the Lord to do this. It's one thing to get at Jonah, but why involve these innocent sailors? They had no part. They were ignorant about it. Surely it wasn't right for God to do this. Well, what do we say to that? Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? God can never do anything that's wrong. He can only do that which is right. It is true that these men had no part to play in Jonah's sin, but they had their own sins. They had their own sins. And it may well be that God was here in a dual purpose, as it were. He was going to deal with Jonah, but he was also going to deal with these sailors who were sinners also, in a different sense. Our catechism, for instance, is helpful here. And it talks about the misery of every human being by nature. What is the misery of the estate wherein to man fell? Well, these men were in that, that estate. They were sinners before God. And the answer that the Catechism gives us, all mankind by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. That's what these men deserved. They had sinned in Adam. Adam's sin had been imputed unto them, and their own sins were against them. And therefore, if God was going to punish them, he had every right, because all are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. 
They had no part in Jonah's sin, but they had enough sins of their own. And it may well be that God had a dual purpose. He was going to deal with Jonah as a believer, and he was going to deal with them as unbelievers. And indeed, as we go through, we will see it was to their blessing, and it was to their betterment that this had happened to them. This again reminds us, friends, that our God possesses infinite wisdom, and he knows how to deal in every situation. He's never flummoxed. He never has to scratch his head. He never has to call upon someone else to give him wisdom. Our God is absolutely perfect, and he knows how to deal with every situation. We are not a prophet, but we think of what's happening in Israel. Terrible things are happening there. Could it be? I put this out as a question. Could it be that God in his wisdom has raised up people to fight against Israel in order that in the fullness of time Israel might come and acknowledge their sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ? For too often they have been relying upon their armies and upon their skill and upon their wisdom. And could it be that God is working in that situation? That he has chastised them as a nation in order that they might turn as a nation and acknowledge him whom they have pierced? And in turn, because this is what we believe the Bible teaches us, that when Israel returns to the Lord, then there will be a blessing to the Gentiles. God is moving. God is working. Don't think for one moment that things are out of control. Oh, they may well be out of control as far as the leaders of this world are concerned. But our hope and our trust and our faith is not upon Biden or anyone else, no matter how much military might they may have. Trust not in princes. God is working. He is bringing to pass what he has decreed. And we have to realize that our actions will have a, a negative or a positive influence. And we would notice here too, under this heading, we would notice that Jonah was not a private believer. He was a prophet. He would be today what we would regard as a, a minister of the gospel or as an office bearer. And look what he did to correct him. Look what he did. 
he sent this great storm. He put into jeopardy the lives of others. Is this not God telling us that he takes the disobedience of those who are prominent in the Christian life very seriously, and he will not overlook it. He may well be patient, and he may well linger for a time, but when he moves, he will move. Because it is a terrible thing to be a dangerous servant of the Lord, a loose cannon, and God will not have it. A dangerous servant. My time is up. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray.